0: Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion.
1: Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. Coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, the clasp on America's Bible bra. You can find us online at www.doubtcast.org. Or those of you in West Michigan can listen to us on Public Reality Radio, WPRR 1680 AM. And now, 95.3 FM as well. Woohoo! Yay, FM. My name is Dave Fletcher, no relation to Horace Fletcher, the great masticator. With me in the studio are my fellow Doubtcasters, Jeremy Behan, uh, hello. Distant relation to the playwright. Uh, Brendan Behan. Brendan yes. Bean. And Dr. Professor Luke Galen, who's related to none. Nobody. No Galen, one in the, uh, uh, the poor humors. You're related to the uh, famous Dr. Luke Galen, who published an article in, what was it, Skeptical Inquirer?
2: Free inquiry, free inquiry, but it's not free. You got to pay for
1: it. Oh man, that's I'm also related
0: to the guy who dropped the bomb on Nagasaki. Are you really? Yes,
1: not which, very proud. of Which that. guy? No, uh, Kermit. Oppenheimer? Kermit Bian That oh. is a that's a fascinating little bit of trivia. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Uh, so, Jeremy, uh, I'm a little jealous of you right now because you have seen the movie Creation and I have not. Uh, yes, I did see the film Creation just
0: uh, the night before last. What do you think? Is it worth seeing? Uh I liked it quite a bit. I enjoyed the movie and um I could see why other people have criticized it. If you are looking for kind of a, a Darwinian propaganda piece, mm-hmm. uh, you're you're not going to get much out of out of creation. Uh and and I understand that. I think a lot of people have complained, you know, there's not a whole lot about origin of species in here. Um,
1: but that's not the that's not the story of the well, movie. Well, yeah, I
0: was thinking like, how boring would it be to right. watch a movie that was about a guy writing a book? I, I believe mean,
1: that was. It's not a documentary. That was half of Master and Commander, actually. And wanna, actually I, instead of, of a and car Commander, chase,
2: I, like I want to see a barnacle experiment, uh, or you know, him dissecting some sort of you know. Yeah,
0: th- no, it was about his relationship with Emma, and it was about their daughter dying. And, and the uh,
1: conflict of their religious beliefs right. and yeah
0: and i thought it was i thought it was very moving i mean i I'm, i don't think it was an incredible movie um mm. one of the things that i thought was a little odd is the the way they chose to represent his thoughts of his daughter visually was by almost making her like a ghost like character mm. and so it which it, is kind of uh <laughs> yeah it might have given the impression to some people who who didn't know much about darwin that that he was going schizophrenic or psychotic towards the end of his life and and it was it was just a visual tool to try to express that Uh, but i did think that was a little overdone Mm -hmm. um and one of the fantastic things about the film was these flashbacks i thought at least the flashbacks to his his time on the beagle
1: oh nice and it
0: just seemed like they could have done more with that they were the ones that they did have were really good and uh and it was like ah oh, we could have dealt with a little bit less of his daughter's ghost and a little bit more of the beagle but uh did they get into in the his end, I I thought relationship it was great.
1: with the the captain of the beagle um no, notoriously not, much. Uh, not a, a good relationship no no they they glossed over that too yeah,
2: no i heard in a review that they made huxley seem somewhat abrasive
1: yes although, although
0: i think Huxley – You've killed god sir I, well huxley was though, being pretty, pretty abrasive
1: yeah he's so. the what is he the the uh, Darwin's pitbull is what he was called in yeah, his day.
0: Yeah. it was it was though it, it was a bit of a stereotype Huxley comes across as pretty much being you know Richard Dawkins you can read right. into it enter new atheist yeah um that, that they clearly have that in mind for their their social commentary but right. actually his scene he was in it for three minutes oh that's it and you don't see him again oh, that's too you bad. hear him referred to but yeah. yeah, so they didn't do much with Huxley.
1: I, I have to say, I haven't seen the movie. I have seen the preview, and I can tell you just based on that, that creation is better than Paul Bettany's other recent movie, Legion, <laughs> oh, really? which is the even steamingest <laughs> pile I have ever seen. And and not even like theologically, okay, you know, end times, whatever. But according to that movie, angels are easier to kill than zombies, <laughs> You don't even have to <laughs> hit him in the head. Oh man, it's terrible. It's so bad.
2: Somebody should do a hierarchy of you know the, uh, the easy undead. to kill, yeah. not hard uh, to killness. There's the seraphim. Cherubim takes a headshot. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you yeah.
1: gotta.
0: I'm sure there's somebody somebody playing role playing games that could
1: uh, cut yeah. us in on the that. larpers out there. Yeah, it, Legion <laughs> is really terrible. So if you're looking, if you have a, a Paul Bettany fix that you're looking for, I, I'd suggest. Go look for creation instead of legion. Uh, Sigh. Well, we have some shocking news that has come out. Shocking, I say. This headline reads, Atheists just as ethical as churchgoers.
2: (gasps) I joined up because I didn't want to behave ethically. Now I hear this. That leaves me a few options.
1: Yeah, this, this just doesn't... Seem fair it comes from uh, the telegraph in the UK by the way we're UK heavy today i don't know if you guys noticed that but most Let's of have a big
2: union are, jack for our emblem for this episode.
1: even our interview comes from the UK but yeah new study uh, shows that atheists are equally as ethical as religious people well we we should clarify um, this is
0: this is Mark Hauser's research that right. they're referring to, and we've we've discussed him on and off on the show before. Quite he, a bit. Yeah, he does a lot of research on our ethical intuitions,
2: and author of Moral Minds. Yeah, which that's right. Is a interesting
0: mm-hmm. book. And so he'll often tease out what are the kind of snap moral decisions we'll make to that just feel intuitive to us, even if they are irrational. Yeah, so he uses the—he
2: ex- uh, combines elements of philosophy, comparing, like, Rawlsian models versus other models of morality, and then uh, the work of, like, we've talked about Jonathan Haidt's work before about the intuitive gut reaction morality, mm-hmm. and he kind of synthesizes it together to uh, to make a case that many the moral decisions we have are essentially um, universal across— different cultures and religions, Uh, you know, there are variations uh, based upon culture, but that some of the elements are are, the templates appear to be very basic and and, uh, universal. And so that was the headline about, you know, it doesn't didn't differ by religion versus not religious.
0: Yeah, you could almost say that some of our moral feelings are are instinctual is almost kind of what comes out of Hauser's work. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's exactly it. This most recent study quoting the article Hauser says in it, for some there is no morality without religion while others see religion as merely one way of expressing moral intuitions. The research suggests that intuitive judgments of right and wrong seem to operate independently of explicit religious commitments. He has this idea that we all have these moral intuitions. It's just that in most cultures, it's religion that is going to be the, he says, the standard way of conceptualizing what we have as these moral intuitions. And I mean that goes along with a lot of what we already know about psychology. When we come to decisions, we often do so for reasons that we may not be aware of and then we rationalize them and it wouldn't be out of the question to see our religious ideas just helping to solidify and conceptualize what we would choose naturally.
1: Right. Now now you skipped over my favorite Hauser quote from the article. He says – It appears as if cooperation is made possible by mental mechanisms that are not specific to religion. However, religion can play a role in facilitating and stabilizing cooperation between groups. Because when I think religion, I think cooperation between groups. (laughs) I I thought that was a little odd. (sighs) Yeah.
0: He ends the article saying, although as we discussed in our paper, this link is not a necessary one. Many people have become so accustomed to using it that criticism targeted at religion is experienced as a fundamental threat to our moral existence. And of course, we see this all the time. We see, contrary to this study, most people believe that religion is going to make you a better person. And we could even expand this to society. Without religion, society's morals would crumble. And so it's always an interesting question. Is there any data to back that up? And this brings us to our topic for today. Really, how is societal health related to religion? Is it true that religion would make society better? Or is it the case, can we see a major major loss in religious belief in a population and still have a happy, healthy society, one that doesn't collapse into a moral nihilism?
2: Nihilists me (laughs) say what you will about the tenets of
0: (laughs) national socialism. at least it's an ethos (laughs) yeah
2: we've been talking like in in God Things Like You segments about a lot of research on like individual moral behavior Mm -hmm. and levels of like you know mental health and such but there's a whole different arm of branch of research that looks at societies as a whole So, like murder rates or crime rates, or the or positive things like you know uh, charity and health and welfare as as indications of the functioning, the successful functioning of societies. So it's it's not a stretch then to say, well, we can cross reference that with how religious are those societies. That is, if if the hypothesis is true that it takes religion to make a healthy society, because I'm sure we've all heard the critique that without religion, we'd collapse into. You know anarchy if that 's true, then you would expect there to be a correlation across nations. The most religious countries would be the healthiest ones to live right. in and the and the ones that are pits of iniquity would relate to a high proportion of atheists so uh, there's many of our listeners might be familiar with uh, gregory paul 's research, which he did one of his studies back in two thousand and five. Where uh, uh, he, you know, basically cross-referenced the w- on one axis. You know, there's diagrams you can look at online. There's on one axis there's how religious the society is, mm-hmm. the proportion of people who pray or attend church, and the the other axis are some measures of societal health. Uh, he he created a conglomerate measure, aggregation of things called the successful society scale and. As you might imagine, no surprise was that the correlation was inverse with religion, that the the most religious societies were the least successful, and they had the highest rates of things like homicide and lack of support. So that kind of kicked off that whole area of, of secular research.
0: Now, the way this is often getting reported then includes some assumptions about causation. You'll, you'll often right. get this reported that this means that
1: religion equals less healthy society.
0: Right. Religion is somehow making society worse or atheism is somehow making society better. And we should be very careful right off the bat when approaching Paul's research. It's very hard to tease out what is causing what.
1: Right, correlation versus causation. This
0: is so there's all
2: kinds of possible third variables we could think of, like mm-hmm. poverty levels and yep. you know education of the population. That that would be, you know, you could easily make a scenario that the. That societies are not as functional if they're less if they're if they're very religious because those tend to be the ones that are uneducated. Think of like African countries, you know, there might not be uh social welfare right. uh, of the people, um, and that's why the societies are bad, not the religion driving the relationship.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, Paul has tried to sort out some of these other possible causes and to and to control for them. For example, people have brought up uh, Im- immigration and diversity might be the source of these relationships. People have brought up maybe violence in the media might skew this. Maybe even they say a country's frontier past.
2: And there's a whole uh, area of research about the American South's past of like, you know, the, the, the why the South is so different than the rest of the country looking at things like, I don't know if they call it frontier past, but like a history of people who uh, don't have a government control and settling their differences with dueling mm-hmm. and, and sure. their whole cu- culture of honor culture. So, you know, societal past could make a difference in the values in that. Mm-hmm. Right area,
0: But the point is after controlling for these things and not seeing any kind of causal relationship come to the front, Paul's thesis is that religion might actually be a, some sort of coping mechanism. If people are experiencing high levels of stress and anxiety, they don't have a social safety net in their country that will take care of them should the disastrous happen – that they depend then on religion they they turn to God in in those situations, and this might be the causal relationship, so that's important to get. it's not necessarily religion; religion makes countries less healthy, less yeah, happy. less healthy, yeah. less happy, or that atheism somehow makes them better. The idea is that in these countries where you have good, robust social services, people don't need to depend on something like God they don 't need to turn to religion.
1: So it's it's much more a symptom of an ill society than it is the cause of an ill society. Is that is that accurate?
0: I think that's what Paul would say. Right. I think that's how well, he yeah. would characterize it.
2: Uh, and that and that if that hypothesis is true what that would say is as societies become more stable and more secure then they one would see over religious. time that they and so usually the poster child for that is considered northern Europe right. uh, which you know had had uh, where societies became basically uh, more uh, uh, socialistic and, and had more support for the policies for, like, you know, a strong welfare, state health, mm. universal health care, education, gender equality after World War II.
0: There have been quite a few criticisms of Gregory Paul's research, and you can find a great example of this on the site verumserum.com. We'll have a link to that at doubtcast.org. This is a Christian conservative website. Some of their critiques were good because they actually brought up data. Uh, sure. A great a great amount of the critique of Paul was basically just ad hominem attacks. Yeah,
1: he doesn't have a degree.
0: That's right. His background is in illustrating and, and other things, but Right. Okay, that's interesting, but his data is what counts. Exactly. Here, it's
1: the science people, it's not who does the science.
0: Right. And other ad hominem attacks were, well, he's, he's an atheist, so yep. he's already has an agenda here. Absolutely. And, of course, that means we need to scrutinize the results. Absolutely. That, that's true. We need to watch out for bias. But, again, what matters is the data. Now, what criticisms do they actually have about Paul's data? They basically accuse him of selecting evidence that's going to support his thesis Mm -hmm. and doing this in two ways. One would be selecting the countries that he used to measure uh, religiosity and and social health and then selecting the measures themselves of social health to look at. So for example, selecting the countries, the critics point out that Paul doesn't include countries like Russia, countries like Poland – Countries like the Czech Republic. Basically they're they're saying if if you were to factor these in, you might get different results. Some of these countries have been have been known not to have the best support
1: for their citizens. That's because in Russia, poll take you.
2: (laughs) What is that? I don't know. You take poll, poll take you. Is that like the whole uh, – what's the difference between capitalism and communism is – in capitalism, man exploits man and in communism is the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yes.
0: So that's one criticism. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll discuss that a little bit more in the interview with Tom Reese that's coming up. Uh, another criticism that I don't think will be as easily answered is some of the factors that, that he used in the successful society scale. Uh, now, the first question I had for you, Luke, because I, I don't know the answer to this – is the successful society scale that he used, did, did this exist before Paul or did Paul create this to, to measure?
2: I think it was his amalgam. It was his uh, conglomeration measure of uh, – of because there are so many different indices you can use of societal health. And so he it was just his kind of sum, summary of the different uh, measures of a healthy healthy society. And so then you have to choose, well, what measures and how you'd weight them. Right. You know, should, should homicide rates be rated equally to theft?
1: When, when you you break it down, it's an overwhelming task to try to figure out. Like I would have no idea how to to weigh each of these factors and which factors to include. and well, some
0: of the things that he includes are things like homicide. Sure. What, what's the incarceration rate, infant mortality, teen, sexually transmitted teen diseases, I believe is one yep. of
1: them.
2: Yeah, if you look up some of the stuff just to get an indication of how difficult this is, even if you just like Google things like crime rates by country, you'll mm-hmm. see that that um I was tooling around the other day and I saw like when you look at societies that that are have very low crime rates uh, that uh, that this might skew the data. That some of them are like the very religious, like Saudi Arabia has some of the lowest crime rates. Sure. you know amongst those, and that's a very religious country. Right, and so that, but that would, if you add that to the data, off. Off. exactly. But you well, lose a hand if you get caught. And they had things like reported rape rates were just very uh, very minimal in Saudi Arabia sure. and Yemen and whatever. Reported rape
0: rates, because yeah, it takes place in the home. Right, so you have to
2: have what, like three witnesses to say that a rape occurred in some yeah, of these exactly. countries. And ra- marital rape is not even possible. Right. Uh, so th- this is just an example where, when you look at some of the societies, it's very difficult to get comparable data because of right. things like crime reporting and definitions right. of crime. And
0: but as the verum serum article points out, depending on what measures you look at, for example, theft they were showing that you know United States levels which is you know one of the highest religious religiously of any of these developed countries the United States had very similar rates to many other developed countries that were more secular and you had like ne- the Netherlands Sweden you know countries we might take as as the example of some of the most secular developed mm-hmm. nations um, the lowest rates of religiosity, we found that the results were that theft, for example, was much higher. Um, Sweden had higher rates of assault too. It seemed significantly higher rates of assault. Burglary attempts in this case the United States was higher than countries like the Netherlands and Switzerland.
1: Not much. Um, Australia but, seems to be topping the charts a lot. And and, but, and you know why Australia? It's what? because they're descended from English criminals and retarded monkeys. Thank you, Flight of the Concords.
2: <laughs> okay. All right. I was, I was uh, hoping that, that was going to have some <laughs> sort of external source that we could <laughs> claim is not. I love from Australians. Our, yeah. and,
1: and Australia loves us, actually. I, yeah, so I was going to say, you better. I'm watch just joshing it there. you, Australia.
2: <laughs> One thing that's always pointed out that's uh, where secular and non religious societies tend to look worse is like suicide rates. They have there's higher suicide rates in places that are very secularized like yeah. Japan and, and right, whatever. right now uh, you know and you can easily imagine like in religious countries there are sanctions against you know they if you let's take like a Catholic country they tell people you're going to go to hell if you kill yourself you're going to be you know you're this is going to be a stain on your family well sure okay uh, you could reduce suicide rates by giving people some sort of external fear of punishment mm-hmm. should suicide be included then as a measure of societal dysfunction. If you have people that right. want to you know, want to die but can't because they're afraid they're going to fry in hell, is that really a measure of a successful society? Right. It seems like it's kind of begging
0: rate? the question a bit.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So it, it does get tricky. I, I think um, our point is not to say that Paul's research is, is flawed in any sort of major way but to point out the complications here and, and to keep an open and critical mind at the same time. Luckily, we don't need to depend just on – Gregory Paul's research. There are other researchers who have studied this same phenomena.
2: The, Paul's work really kind of kicked off a whole wave of, of, of secular research on societies that countered the traditional thesis of religion equals healthy societies. Right. And Tom Reese is a, another researcher who delved into this area. And so Tom uh, published a, a study recently that uh, looked at not overall poverty as, as a measure of, of ill health, but actually the Spread within a society Or the inequality gap
0: Between the rich and the poor
1: This Tom Reese sounds like a fascinating guy Boy, it sure would be nice if we could talk to him
0: Ah, but we did And so now we'll move into our interview With Tom Reese To get more information about his study How it was conducted And what the implications of it are Joining us on the show today Is Tom Reese Tom Reese is a medical writer living in the UK. He has a PhD in biotechnology, a curiosity about psychology of religion, and he is also the author of the Epiphenom blog. Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, Tom. Hi. First, tell us about your blog, uh, Epiphenom. What what is it about and what got you interested in writing on these subjects?
3: Okay, well, uh, my blog covers um, psychology and social science of uh, religion and non-belief. Really, I try to keep up to date with the, the latest published studies, and when I find something interesting, I, I, I write it up and post it up on the blog. And I, I got interested in this because I've been a lifelong humanist, um, and, and recently I just became interested in why uh, some people are religious and other people are not, and, and, and how that varies around the world, and trying to understand what drives people to be religious.
0: And you have published some of your own work, correct?
3: That's right, yes. I, uh, I've, I've done, a, done some research into how religion varies from one country to another and some of the uh, social factors that seem to explain these variations uh, on the international level. B- at the beginning of the 20th century, really, people started to get interested in the idea of secularization, this, this apparent trend there seemed to be in Europe um, – Towards, uh, away from the established churches and away from religion, and people seem to be becoming less religious. And, and so sociolo- sociologists were very interested in why that might be. They, they put forward the idea that it, it's basically down to modernization. So as people um, became better educated, they found that re- religion was less believable. And also uh, as, as states become more secularized, they didn't need to turn to the church for social functions. And so basically they thought that religion was just going to die away as, as uh, countries became more modernized. And that was a, a fine theory, and, uh, but they soon realized that there was one glaring exo- exception to this, <laughs> and uh, that, that being the United States, of course.
0: Well, I saw that one coming. <laughs>
3: yeah. So, so the question is, why is the United States, uh, you know, the most modern of nations, why is religion so popular and, and, and persists so strongly in it? compared with other modern countries. And um, what uh, sociologists in the U.S. put forward is is this idea of of market forces in religion. Mm -hmm. And their hypothesis was that um, because America has such a diverse religious community, there's so many churches out there providing all sorts of different um, enticing religions that that it, it basically encouraged people to be religious. So their idea was the reason Europe um, had become less religious was not anything to do with modernization, but simply because they had these boring old state churches that nobody could really be bothered with anymore. That was um, strongly challenged by a lot of European scholars, but, but nobody could really provide an alternative explanation of why, why the U.S. was specific as being so religious. So then the next development, I guess, was um, more recently uh, Pippa Norris uh, published a book along with Ronald Inglehart sacred and secular on going back to the idea of why people turn to religions, and they put forward this hypothesis is basically down to insecurity. So, although there's a logical reason to believe in to turn to religion, there's also uh, an emotional need that's provided by
0: religion. So, what specific type of insecurity are we are we talking about? Uh, financial insecurity or emotional insecurity, or
3: it's it's. It could be anything I mean they put forward the idea of existence existential security so fear of death is one aspect of it if you're living in an area where there's a lot of disease and there isn't very good health care then that's a form of insecurity but they also said one of the other things they put forward is is this idea of financial insecurity and they specifically said income inequality they they noted that income inequality correlated very well around the world with the popularity of religion and they put forward the idea that uh, Income inequality leads to financial insecurity because uh, even if you're at the top of the scale, you don't know if you're going to go down right. <laughs> the scale. Right. So that, that can cause worry and anger, anxiety. And if you're at the bottom of the scale, then even if you're in a very rich country, then, you know, you, you, you might not, not have very good access to healthcare and those sorts of things, might not have good education, those sorts of things. So they they, they simply noted this correlation between inequality
0: and religion. Which would seem to explain away that uh, anomaly of the United States, even though it has a very large GDP, still income inequality, we might say, is higher in the US.
3: Well, that's right, of course. Uh, So the United States is an outlier in a lot of different ways uh, from other industrialized countries. But one of the ways that it differs is is the relatively high income inequality. So potentially that is an explanation. So what I did, what I, I was interested to do in my research was to basically compare the three theories that have been put forward. So I, um, I threw into a model the various factors that have been put forward. So GDP to uh, relate to modernization, urbanization, which also is related to modernization because the idea is that urban areas are, um, there's higher levels of education and more diversity and more discussion and that sort of thing. The other factors I put in was a bunch of scales that measure how much government regulates religion. The idea being that the more regulation there is, the more unpopular religion should be. Uh, because as soon as government gets this, is, this is basically the idea of the, uh, the competitive marketplace of religion. Mm-hmm. And the, the final factor I put in was income inequality and put all of these factors into the model, model and it turns out that they all seem to play a role. They all do actually seem to play a role. Modernization does seem to, to work, um, as does as does government regulation, although it's not not as important as some scholars might maintain. But but even after accounting for these differences that might potentially explain cross-national differences in religion, um, there's still additional explanation provided by income inequality. So it's, it's a third and important factor.
0: Before we delve into your results a little deeper, yeah. government regulation of religion, what exactly is that measuring, like a, a state church?
3: Well, several measures that are actually folded into that. There's the government regulation of um, of religion, which, which is about how government restricts religion, how it, how it says what you can and can't do, to what extent it says that. So in, in the United States, there's, there's no regulation. Yeah. But in a lot of countries around the world, you you are restricted. You can't do things. I mean, for instance, So this is not...
0: So you said that uh, less religious regulation by government does have an impact on how religious they are, but, but you said it's not as significant as, as some it, other factors. It's certainly not
3: in my model.
2: You mentioned that these, these all kind of pool together, Tom. I was wondering if there's any way that you could control for just simple um, economic deprivation or poverty, that as you would expect in unequal nations that you know, it's one thing to say that it's the inequality itself because that would imply that even well-off people uh, within the nation would be worse off because of the inequality, but how do we know that it's not just due to simply that those who happen to be the poorer nations because they drag uh, down?
3: It, yeah, it could well be. It could well be. I mean, in my model, I couldn't control for that, but there are other people who have looked quite extensively into that, including um, there's a recent book uh, called Spirit Level, um, I'm just struggling to recall the authors of it now. Yeah, I mean, there there is some evidence that even the wealthy people in a very unequal uh, um, ine- society, even the wealthier people seem to have been negatively affected compared with similarly wealthy people in a less unequal society. Mm-hmm. But it's a controversial area, that's for sure. And it, you can't rule out, certainly in my study, you can't rule out the possibility that it simply is in an unequal society of a given level of wealth, you get a lot of people very poor, because that's what inequality means. So it might just be an effect of poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, but what? But it is important to note that I controlled for per capita the domestic product, so average wealth. So you do control for these average wealth effects, but it, it might be that, uh, that the inequality is pulling down the wealth of, of certain segments of society, but on the other hand, of course, inequality is pushing up the wealth of other segments of society. So, you know, the, you might expect the average level to be, the average effect to be
2: zero. We've had discussions with other people on the show that argue for religion's positive impact on societies, like we had uh, David Myers, the, the psychologist, um, a while back and he was saying that he was responding to a lot of the research like Phil Zuckerman's research that shows that, you know, the least religious nations are the most well-off societally and one of his criticisms was that when you look at the results across countries, societies, that you see that the relationship is negative, that the well-being is better for the least religious nations but that when you look at individuals' within the society that it was the opposite. Hmm. Is there any way that apparent contradiction can be worked out, that individuals within societies, to the extent that they're more religious, might have positive indices of well-being uh, psychologically or social behavior? Or
3: yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, the, two, the two are perfectly compatible. Religion could have a beneficial effect at the personal level and yet still be associated on the societal level with, with uh, societal ill health. And that would happen if... Um, if the causes of increased or decreased religion also had an impact on societal health. So so mm-hmm. if, if being wealthier makes the nation uh, less religious but also healthier, then the fact that people are less religious, that might have a, a negative effect on how they behave, and yet the overall effect could still be positive if wealth is more important than religion. And so what this really shows is that you know there, there's, there's a lot of Uh, Studies, especially in the U.S., seemingly associating religion with better behavior in certain ways, and yet it's clearly not a very important factor compared with other factors. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at these nations, there's a recent study out last year showing the, the levels of trust across nations. Those nations that are least religious have highest average levels of trust, and yet religion is supposed to encourage trust. So it's clearly a factor, or it could be a factor, but clearly not. Uh, a very
0: important factor. So we could say the, the overall conclusion of your study mm. is that modernization and societal health, when those increase, we see less religion. Yes. Do, can we conclude that religion then somehow causes these uh, poorer social conditions, or, or might that be reversing the causation?
3: There? Yeah, Well, so, so the causation, I mean, I think it's almost certainly going to be the case that poor social conditions lead people into religion so people become religious as a consequence of poor social conditions and there's a lot of evidence to suggest to to show how that might happen so you know if you make people uh, tense or anxious then they tend to succumb to the sorts of uh, psychological illusions which might be related to religion so they might start to see personalities in inanimate objects or, or they might start to see patterns that aren't really there and these sorts of cognitive illusions increase in stress There is also the intriguing possibility that religion in itself acts to create inequality. And and the reason for that is that um, religious, and there's several studies that have shown this, that uh, religious people are less interested in government provision. So Mm -hmm. if you're poor, you can turn to religion, and that in some way reduces your anxiety about being unemployed, makes you Mm -hmm. feel okay about being unemployed. Um, and the other thing is that what religion does, it seems to be associated with this belief in what's called a just society. Mm-hmm. So religious people tend to feel that the world is just and the people get their just desserts. And if you believe that, then, of course, when you see a poor person, you'll think, well, they're poor because there's a the reason for that, it's a just
0: That throws a monkey wrench into my next question because I was going to ask, you know, what are the implications for humanist activists who are, you know, trying to diminish the influence of religious belief in society? You might be able to look at your your conclusions and say, well, perhaps focusing on social progress politically might be a very powerful and, and underrated approach to combating religious belief. but. From what you're saying, this this might go the other way around too. We have to question religion and challenge its ideas, like yeah. just world belief, uh, mm-hmm. in order to get that progress in the first place.
3: Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And, and broadly speaking, you could say there are two two things that that, that are under control that could lead to increased uh, human increasing interest in humanism, increased popularity of humanism. That's the the, the the secular worldview, and that's that's related to the modernization thing. So, so one of the other things that popped out of my study is that. Countries that have a more diverse, more religious diversity, are actually less religious, and that's probably because of competing worldviews. You know, once you have a bunch of religions, very very different religions, all, all claiming claiming um, to be the one true answer, then then they tend to cancel each other out, and people lose interest. The other aspect is, of course, the, the, the re- relieving poverty and distress and that sort of thing, and that will certainly, I think, lead to less religion. But then. To go about that, I mean, it's not a coincidence that that um, political parties that are economically conservative, meaning they don't believe in redistribution, also tend to be uh, more religious. Um, the, the, the two the two uh, concepts are quite closely
2: linked. You know, we've, we've talked before in the show about a lot of the psychological work by um, Jost and such that shows that conservatism and that they are related to the, the same factors like just world belief or, yeah. or, or even some some more ominous ones like fear. You know, We discussed like terror yeah. management theory, for example. And, and so one of the things that I was thinking about when you were just talking was if, if – religion is being challenged by humanists or secularists, that might cause in religious people uh, a rise in their anxiety level because there's Mm -hmm. nothing to replace that. If they're afraid and there's societal fear, you know, the the conditions are unequal, what would fill the gap then uh, between people clinging even more tightly to their worldviews?
3: Yeah, and certainly when you challenge people's worldviews and when you make people feel threatened, if you make them feel threatened with another culture, you know, like another culture is coming to take over their culture or, or impose itself, then then they will certainly turn to their cultural values. I mean, this is terror management theory. They'll, they'll cling to whatever their cultural norms are. Mm-hmm. So if they're religious, they'll, they'll cling ever more tightly to religion. That will compound all the other factors that that, that that contribute to religiosity.
0: What did you use as your measure of religiosity in this study?
3: Uh, yeah. Okay, so religion is a very complex... to measure I chose my measure very carefully I chose the one that I thought would give the strongest effects um, relating to distress and and what I was interested in is how often people pray and the reason this is interest more interesting than than other measures that you you have measures like uh, whether people believe in God and how strongly they believe in God and and the problem with that is that a a lot of people believe in God but they believe in a kind of um, one, one that doesn't have any direct uh, intervention, not going to listen to your prayers, and, and the, the, the people who believe in a distant God don't tend to pray. So I was I was more interested in, in the.
0: That's very interesting because that that very much strengthens the, the hypothesis. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Yeah. I mean, certainly one study on its own, you know, you never mm-hmm. bet the farm on it. But but when two come out and, and hopefully some more stuff, and, and of course there's Gregory Paul's work, which has uh, found sort of links to a broad basket of economic and social indicators.
2: There's been some blowback with some of his studies between, I believe, critics and also be- the journal that published it. Yeah. Uh, do you have any insight into what that all was uh, regarding? Is, there some criti- is the criticism of the work substantive and, and, and valid, or is there an agenda behind some people not wanting to accept the results?
3: He's done two studies. He did the one in 2005, which, which very much contributed to the inspiration behind my study, was another contributing factor. And that one in 2005, it was, it was kind of a preliminary study. It showed that religion and various aspects of religion Um, basket of, uh, of countries, and there was no statistical analysis done. So the critics said, "Oh, well, you know, you're just selecting countries, or you're you're not doing proper statistical analysis, and etc., etc., etc." You know, and and that's okay because it was it was the.
0: And that's what I noticed. Gregory, Paul comes to some of the same conclusions as you, but he did not survey countries like Russia, Poland, yeah. the Czech Republic, some Eastern European countries. Yeah. Your study did. Um, your studies in- included this and even some sub-Saharan African countries. Uh, it-, it seemed to be much more thorough the way you approached well, these. Well, yeah.
3: But there's a flip side to that. There's two things here. I mean, yes, my, my study, I, I, I tried, I made it as wide as possible. I used all the data that we could possibly get. So. That includes some African countries and a lot of Eastern countries, um, poorer countries as well. So we get a good spread of different countries. Uh, there, there is there is a reason for is a valid reason for restricting it to the wealthier countries as well, uh, as mm-hmm. Gregory Paul does, because basically then you've got countries which are all fairly similar in other regards, except for the one variable that you're looking at, mm-hmm. which makes it easier to control for other effects. So I think you need to do both kinds of studies. It's worth doing it in a small sample of very well.
2: In debates, just a lot of the debates, different camps, like the the, the pro humanist camp, will, will point to countries more like the Scandinavian ones as their model for what mm. societies without religion would look like. But that often theistic people uh, or advocates for religion would point to the Eastern Bloc countries, like or communist former communist countries, as being the prototype for atheism. Uh, mm. You know, and obviously those are very widely on societal health, if not being at opposite ends of the scale. Well,
3: yeah. So, so one, one of the important things. about my study is I looked at income inequality, but it was historical income inequality. It was the average over about a 30-year period starting in 1970. The the reason for this is that how religious people are tends to be set in in kind of early adulthood, uh, and then you stick with the religion or the religiosity that you developed at that point. So to, to get a strong association, you have to look at historical conditions, not
2: Church is actually resuming some power, but it is in an authoritarian sort of coalition mm-hmm. with the government.
3: Yeah. You know, it
2: has some worry. Really,
3: you know, uh, yeah.
0: Research is certainly helping us to understand these trends, and what areas should new researchers be looking at to build upon these ideas?
3: Yeah, well, there's a few things. There's firstly expanding it to other aspects, other measures of religion. Um, But the most important thing that needs to be done, really, is is time trends uh, to understand how the causes of of religion—whether insecurity causes religion or whether religion causes insecurity—these sorts of these. at the moment, on an international scale, long-term tri- time trends are—they are, don't really exist. Uh, they are being built up, but of course that takes time. So what needs to be done at the moment? What what is available is long-term tri- time trends within a few select countries, like the USA has got a very good series of data, and, and some European countries also. So uh, the the next stage really is to to look at these time trends and see, you know, do, do changes in inequality really uh, can you tease that out amongst all the other factors that could be contributing to changes in religion? Uh, that's really the, the key question now,
0: I think. Well, Tom Rees, yeah. thank you very much for joining us on Reasonable Doubts. And where can our listeners find more about your work? Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining us on Reasonable
1: Doubts. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. On the props list this week, coming to us from an article from The Guardian, one of our most trusted news sources. <laughs> we, we love the UK today and Australia. I, I cannot stress that enough. We love Australia. Good day, mates. I,
0: I'm what not even What were you
2: laughing about the Guardian? What's <laughs> All our articles are from the same effing papers. Why don't we just like – they could open up a branch here or something and have like
1: <laughs> – I'm, I'm cool am cool. Pretty that.
2: soon they're going to thre- – some lawyer is going to call up and threaten us with whatever. We'll be like, welcome to the Guardian podcast with reasonable doubts. <laughs> 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 uh,
1: anyway, article entitled New Award Recognizes Schools Teaching Both Religious and Non-Religious Belief. The prize is called the Accord Prize. Good title. It, quote, celebrates
0: diversity of not only religious but also non religious beliefs. The award was launched last November by a coalition of religious groups, humanists, trade unions, and human rights campaigners. Mm -hmm. Its stated aim is to reform laws governing faith schools and resist the expansion of state funded religious schools which operate restrictive and discriminatory. Admissions and Employment Practices. Uh, But they were highlighting one of the schools that's going to be honored by this Accord Prize, Mm -hmm. Crown Hills Community College in Leicester. This is a majority Muslim school. 94% majority. This is a Muslim school. But they are also one of the first schools in the UK to actually study humanism alongside with their religious education. Very cool. And uh, they say it's getting a, a terrific reception even in a mostly Muslim school, they have a quote by one student. Uh, apparently, one of the things they do is they hand out cards in class with mm-hmm. certain ideas on it. That, something that says the universe is an accident, not a plan, or science has disproved God. Uh, I don't know if things those to are get the best. Reactions. Yeah. yeah. But I it's mean, basically they're... gauging reaction and right. seeing how do the students deal with that, yeah, mm-hmm. getting them to think of arguments, think of the other side, and how they might respond. And they they have this uh, quote by a 13-year-old girl at the school. She says, if you have a watch, you see it. Someone made it. It didn't just happen to get there by itself. You can say the same thing about the world. It didn't just happen. And then she goes, "Uh, but if God made the planet, then who made God? It's like a tree, isn't it? It just goes on and on. It makes my head hurt.
1: Uh, They're (laughs) thinking –
0: so I thought that was cute. That's you have great. you have a young girl encountering the problems of infinite regress mm-hmm. for the very first time and yep. and and getting a philosophical headache over it. And uh but you know this is exactly the type of thing that I'd like to see in in public schools in America. They're not And pu-
1: private schools.
0: Yeah. They're not pushing humanism on these children. They're not pushing atheism. No. They're getting them to think about these things and to talk about it and everybody is welcome to join in the debate and have their own perspective.
1: Now, um, speaking of American public schools, uh, my eldest daughter, who you may remember from our parenting episode, had an incident recently in in class where – Rut rule. Yeah. They were talking about different religions, which is great. And one kid said, what do they call it if you don't believe in a god at all? And my daughter said, that's called atheism. And that was it. The teacher responded with, that's not appropriate to talk about in school. Okay. We've got a call into the principal and uh, are pursuing that. Now, but but the fact that it, she wasn't even – she certainly wasn't proselytizing. She just said it's called atheism when you don't believe in a god. She was sharing vocabulary and that exactly. was too much. And the teacher said that's not appropriate to talk about in school, so, in public school. <clears throat> I was no thinking
2: less. before when you were talking about the, the class and we were giving the, the whole context of the props thing. It's very th- – that also illustrates the contextual importance of how things are presented. And it makes me Absolutely. very very yeah. skittish about anybody who claims, well, we have – We cover all religions. I mean, I went to a Lutheran school, and they claimed to cover religions, Mm -hmm. but it was a very tendentious coverage where the book was obviously published by the Lutheran Church, and so they were like, we'll talk about Jehovah's Witnesses and blah, 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 but it was always to paint them in the most, you know, uh, uh, or even if the intention wasn't ill, that the way that sometimes it was spun in class, uh, the teacher, you know, uh, the one that's the proper one always ends up coming out on top. And I think it would be very difficult to design a class to, to cover without prejudice equally different points of view. Yeah, I
0: think it would be too. But one of the strengths is at least this, this Accord Prize, the group that is sponsoring it, mm-hmm. has representatives from all sides. I mean, this is getting run not by just by Christians um, and different religious groups, but by humanists, by educators, by human rights, people who are concerned with human rights. And so with this kind of broad coalition backing it, hopefully, hopefully that's going to provide a good check. Whoever's receiving this award... Hopefully, we'll, we'll have a good program, a program that deserves it. And, and if that is the case, then props both to the Accord Prize organizers and to Crown Hills Community College.
1: Absolutely. Uh, well, that's going to do it for us this week. Until next time, check out our website at www.doubtcast.org. Email us at doubtcast at gmail.com. Join the discussion on our forum at doubtcast.forummotion.net. There's one M in forum motion. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Zazzle at slash Doubtcast.
2: And if you have any homeschooling parenting advice, Dave might be needing that in the near future <laughs> when he withdraws his children from the public
1: school system. That's right. So uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time right here on Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion.